This evening's reading comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 42. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Thank you for reading, Samuel. And thank you, Rob, for praying for us. So tonight we're on the concluding um, part of chapter 10 in Matthew's Gospel. The whole chapter is Jesus giving instructions to his disciples, which of course includes us today, as he sends us out on our mission. And as we've gone through this chapter, we've seen the instructions he gives. We've seen the expectations that we should have of discouragement and opposition in the face of the gospel. But we've also seen the encouragement not to be afraid because God wins, God rules, God cares for his disciples, for us on our mission. And we'll see tonight that in return for that, Jesus asks for our loyalty, for real and costly commitment from us to our mission as his ambassadors but also with a promise that ultimately it will be worth it. So to help us get into the passage, I have a question for you. What do these four gentlemen have in common? Lord John Marbury, Sir Mark Bryden, Lord John Standish, Sir Kim Darrock. What connects them all? Talk amongst yourselves. When you've got an answer, come back to me. <laughs> Any offers? Any suggestions? Martin, ambassadors, in what context? As an automotive man, you will know that there used to be a car called an ambassador. That probably is not what we're talking about. Uh huh. Any foreign country in particular? 
The USA, I heard over there. The USA, yes. They were the British ambassador to America. But the first three are fictional. The last, you might remember, resigned in July 2019 following the leaking of his diplomatic cables that contained unflattering assessments of the Trump administration. Ring bells? But he demonstrated the sort of loyalty, the sort of real and costly commitment to his mission that Jesus expects from us in ours. The ambassador's full title is Her Majesty's Ambassador to the United States of America. The ambassador represents the British monarch. Where the ambassador is, it is as if she were present there. And that's the imagery in verse 40 of our reading. Jesus said, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. It's as if Jesus is present because we are present. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul talks about Christians being Christ's ambassadors. He writes, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. God sent Christ from heaven to this world. And Christ sent us into the world when he commissioned us. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. So we are Christ's ambassadors with his commission, his mandate for mission. But although we have his mandate for our mission, the mission is divisive. We've seen that over these last weeks, and we see it again in the passage this evening. We see that there is acceptance and there is rejection of both the message and the ambassador. But the good news, the encouragement in the face of that rejection is in verse 40. Jesus assures us that as some welcomed him, God's ambassador, so too some will welcome us, Christ's ambassadors. Now we'll come back to verses 40 to 42. First, we need to do some work around the rest of the passage, and perhaps that's going to be a little bit hard, a little bit painful. So here's a road map of where we're going. beginning with Jesus' call to associate ourselves with him. And what does Jesus mean when he says that if we will acknowledge him, he will acknowledge us? Well, certainly he's not using the language of the diplomatic ambassador who writes, I acknowledge receipt of your note. And then goes on to make it very clear that whatever was said in that note will be completely disregarded. Actually, the language used in the King James Version helps us better, perhaps, to understand Jesus' meaning. 
Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. A confession or a statement of faith sets out what a person, a church or a grouping of churches believe. As a church, we publish our confession or our statement of faith on our website. When a person is accepted into membership of Long Crendon Baptist Church, it's on the basis that they acknowledge that they also share that same confession or statement. And membership can continue for as long as they continue to acknowledge that confession or statement. Now, did you notice that as I was speaking, the use of the word acknowledge has changed? It's no longer a temporary passing recognition of a note sent. But rather, it's a long-lasting, ongoing affirmation. And it is a long-going, long-lasting, ongoing association that Jesus calls us to. And he calls us to be public about that association with him. But of course, it's one thing to acknowledge a confession or a statement of faith in the company of other Christians in this building. It's an altogether different and scarier thing when you're the only uh, Christian in the classroom on Monday morning, when you're the only Christian in the workshop, when you're the only Christian in the office. And yeah, there are those occasions when we fail to acknowledge Christ as we should. But that's different to disowning or denying Christ. Because in the same way that confession of Christ is about public acknowledgement for the long term, so disowning Christ is about long-term public denial. So what do we do when we're in that scary situation of being the only Christian and Jesus calls us to associate ourselves with him? Well, he encourages us with the reminder that he's acknowledging us before God in heaven. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be in that scary situation. Probably situations much more scary than we will ever have to be in. And yet, as he reflected on the scary challenges that he had faced, he was able to say, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? So if you feel scared or timid as you seek to publicly associate yourself with Jesus, as you acknowledge him or confess him, be encouraged He, Jesus, is acknowledging you before God. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So with that encouragement, Jesus goes on to outline the cost of acknowledging him. And Jesus begins by correcting misunderstandings of his mission. 
The Jews of Jesus' day thought that when Messiah came, he would expel the Roman army of occupation, he would lead the Jewish nation to victory and establish a reign of peace and prosperity. Today, many people assume that Christianity has failed because 2,000 years later, there is still so much war, suffering and injustice in the world, as well as the conflicts between families and in people's personal lives. If Christ is the Prince of Peace foretold in the Old Testament, they reason he was either bogus or a failure. But when Jesus said, I've come to bring peace to the earth, he didn't mean establishing peace through fighting. Or even peace where there's an absence of fighting. He meant that he would re-establish the same peace, tranquility and relationship with God that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden before their sinful disobedience broke their relationship with God and introduced conflict. Conflict with their relationship with God, their family relationships and before long between nations. Jesus' mission, the peace that he came to bring, peace with God through the forgiveness of sins, was costly for Jesus at home. And indeed, it was going to cost him his life. If Christ's message of peace is a restored relationship with God, Christ's sword is a clean division. I've already used the word divisive to describe our mandate for mission. The message of the gospel is divisive. And the consequences of living out a gospel lifestyle will be divisive, especially in the home. The writer to the Hebrews describes God's word, the gospel, as being sharper than any double-edged sword. That's the gospel that we live out as we acknowledge Christ in our homes. It is the sharp, double-edged sword that divides Christians from family members who have a different worldview. As we associate with Christ... We as Christians will see things at home from a different perspective. Not least, I guess, would be the best use of the household budget. And that impacts many lifestyle choices, such as holidays, car and transport choices, hobbies, the best use of our leisure time, what constitutes Good parenting will be seen differently, perhaps. And Christian young people may have different scholastic and career aspirations to their parents who aren't Christians. And as I'm speaking, I'm very aware that many of you know and experience the reality of this day by day. But Jesus makes it very clear 
this is what he calls us to. Now don't hear me wrongly, Jesus doesn't call us to destroy family relationships. But when he comes into a person's life, there's an inevitable division from those who don't associate with him, from those who don't acknowledge him as Lord. But it is because he is Lord that he can rightly demand our commitment. And actually, if those around us who are not yet Christians are ever going to believe that the gospel is true, they have to see our quality confession, our quality commitment, our quality association to Christ lived out in the long term. However painful and challenging that is for everyone in the short term. Now, if it's costly to associate ourselves with Jesus at home, it can be even more costly to do so in the public arena. We've already said that the peace that Jesus came to bring, peace with God through the forgiveness of sins, cost him his life. Jesus brought about the forgiveness that gives peace through his very public humiliation and death. He was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem with the means of his execution. In Jesus' day, if you were seen carrying a cross, it meant that you had no control over your own circumstance, no way out, no future, just a slow, lingering, excruciating death. How is it in our day by comparison. I'm happy to carry my cross and associate with Jesus until he crosses my plans, until he challenges my prejudices, until he begins to call me to do things I don't want to do. Jesus says that such a Christian is not worthy of me. Is the cost of not being accepted by the in crowd, not being invited to the best parties, not wearing the latest designer fashion, not climbing the corporate ladder of success too great to pay. Real Christianity, associating ourselves with Jesus, means figuratively dying in the same way that Jesus did. And we do that by living by his priorities, by handing control of our circumstances over to God. And you know what? The first thing God does for us is what he did for Jesus. He brings us back to life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And making our choices for my sake, for Jesus' sake, transforms our perspective. If we grasp for the things of this world, the things we can take or make from it, we're committing ourselves to disappointment because 
ultimately we leave this world and we lose everything. But if we associate with Jesus and everything that he stands for above our own desires and even the desires of those nearest and dearest, well, we will find eternal fulfillment. In other words, it's worth it. Jesus makes it clear the gospel is divisive. Not everyone will welcome it or indeed the ambassador who brings it. But the encouragement in verses 40 to 42 is that there will be a welcome from some people. In verse 40, Jesus assures us that just as some welcomed him, God's ambassador, so too some will welcome us, Christ's ambassador. And in verse 41, Jesus further encourages us. He says, when we receive one of his ambassadors as he or she brings us God's word, the receiver is rewarded just as much as the ambassador is. Do we want to be rewarded by God as we listen to a sermon? In the same way that our pastors and preachers are rewarded by God as they prepare the sermon? Well, then we need to be here Sunday by Sunday. And if we want a double reward, well, we need to be here twice on Sunday. So I'm glad you're here. But you know, sometimes we don't even know that we're receiving one of Christ's ambassadors. I'm reminded of the writer to the Hebrews who says, Some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that a glorious thought? But Jesus says that we can be his ambassador even in just the smallest act of kindness. The most insignificant act of kindness to the least likely of people. Perhaps a personal story to illustrate. Bangkok Railway Station at daft o'clock in the morning. Jill and I have arrived and we're at least half an hour too early. We're waiting for our train. A young girl with a heavy rucksack staggers along the platform and asks if she could share our bench. Clearly, she's distraught. As we talk, she tells us the expensive train ticket that she purchased wasn't valid. She's had to buy another correct replacement. We can see that she's roughing it. She's tired. She's hungry. She's hot. She's alone in a foreign country. She sees our bottles of water and she asks where we'd bought them. That's a bit embarrassing because we had to say that they'd been provided by the nice hotel that we'd stayed in the previous night. We persuaded her to take one and then we persuaded her to take some fruit and another bottle that we'd purchased at a kiosk. Her train was due then 
So we didn't get the opportunity to use words to share the gospel with her. But we pray that we were Christ's ambassadors in our actions. I'm sure you could think of similar encounters in your own experiences. But probably there are many more that you can't bring to mind because actually they were so inconsequential that you don't recall them. And that's the point Jesus is making here. Even the smallest act of kindness to the most insignificant of people is of great value in the gospel economy. That was the point of the sparrows last week. God is so big that he sees the small, insignificant stuff. God is so big that he cares even for what we would consider the small or the insignificant person. Jesus encourages us here that when we show just the smallest act of kindness, when we share God's word as one of his ambassadors, when we welcome God's word, when we welcome one of his ambassadors, we will certainly not lose our heavenly reward. And we have the joy of being Christ's ambassadors. We have the joy of serving him today in the foreign country that is this life. But then, but then we will be with him face to face in the next life in our home in heaven. And that will make it all worthwhile.